Welcome to the Beers for Being podcast. My name's Benjamin Hammersley, and this is where I share my conversations with friends, therapists, and thought leaders about how to live with more authenticity, honesty, and presence. Today, I'm speaking with my friend, Jeremy Albertson. Jeremy is the author of The Pursuit of Clarity, a book which documents the different levels of awareness he experienced as he gave up the distractions, intoxicants, and numbing habits of the Western world and entered into deep states of meditation. Jeremy is also a gardener, musician, poet, and artist. I first met Jeremy in 2018 while attending the New Warrior Training Adventure run by the Mankind Project in Western Australia. Jeremy was a facilitator at the workshop and guided me through a particularly challenging experience. Uh, I remember being intrigued by Jeremy's compassionate and grounded nature as he interacted with me and others, even in demanding situations. In today's episode, Jeremy and I talk about the practicalities and obstacles to experiencing states of oneness, how to tune into different frequencies of consciousness, the process of letting go of an undesired habit, and much more. So please sit back and enjoy this insightful and heartfelt talk with Jeremy Albertson. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, I'd just like to start <clears throat> to get to know you a little bit more mm-hmm. and ask you about your 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 upbringing, your, your early childhood and uh, your your journey so far, I guess particularly around um, some of the experiences you talk about in your book, The Pursuit of Clarity, mm-hmm. how you got to the point where it felt good for you to give up these many things. Um, I won't say too much. I'm going to hand it over to you, uh, but All just right. to get a... Yeah, just to give everyone a general idea of where where you're coming from, what your perspective of the world is. Mm, yeah, okay, cool. So, um, my upbringing, I grew up in the hills near here. I haven't gone very far. <laughs> um, and uh, my parents were both um, going to... A Christian Science Church, so I grew up in a religious family, and my grandfather, when he was twelve, um, got a meningitis um, attack or whatever it is, you know, some little amoeba got into his brain and um, made him very ill, and he was in a coma, mm. and. He, or his mother was trying to save his life, of course, and was told by doctors that if he comes out of this coma, he'll have um, brain damage to a degree that they don't know how severe. But basically, you know, if he doesn't, um, if if he comes out of the coma, he's going to need a high level of care. And so she, sort of after exhausting how many doctors there were back then to see what could be done for him, started going to churches and trying to find healers. And 
eventually she went into a Christian science church and they were kind of more concerned about her and her well-being and how is she handling this trauma. And so she got a lot out of that and got involved. And um, my grandfather had a complete recovery uh, through a practice she learnt there of spiritual healing. Wow. Um, and he lived till he was 90, and he was a very independent and um, inspirational man to me. Like, he had, he was very clever. He was a, a pilot, not a pilot, a, um aircraft mechanic, and worked for the Red Cross. And in my time, you know, he was always doing Mills on Wheels and lots of service to the world. And... Wow amazing thing so he was a good role model for me and um of course that my mother um carried on in that religion and i guess i learned there um kind of a couple of things one that i liked was that there are no preachers in that religion Mm. there's just readings so they study the the scriptures and you kind of learn by that direct experience rather than have somebody tell you their interpretation of it. And that's very much with me now. Hmm. Like I, I, my form of spirituality is by direct experience. So I'm not religious. Um, I think that all spiritual paths and religions lead up the same mountain and rather than just choose one and stick to it i like to sample them all (laughs) so my um my bookshelf has quite a large spirituality section and and i like to get a a good understanding of all the different um experiences people have and and to have my own as well Mm. and so mum really taught me kind of how to love everyone and connect with spirit. And then I guess when I came of age, I was, might have been about 20, um, I was working, volunteering at a community garden and I met this crazy guy <laughs> who um, he he taught me a lot about a different kind of spirituality, you know, rather than just the Christian version, you know. He taught me all about astral plane and the causal plane and um, just just a whole different thing that I didn't learn in Sunday school. Okay. And he had a really deep knowledge of this stuff, which I think is something that can make people seem crazy. Mm. Um, he had other reasons as well. You know, he was the product of a rape. And although his mother carried him, uh, she and uh, her daughters never accepted him. So he grew up in the space under the house. And wow. they put food out for him and stuff. And um, eventually he went out and never came back and hung out with the kind of people that don't have enough love in their life either. Mm. Um, He lived on the streets a lot. Uh, He taught himself to read. He was never schooled by any institution, but he taught himself to read. And he had a 
an immense knowledge of what I think is spirituality as opposed to religion. So from my upbringing, I got religion. Mm. And then through my time volunteering and talking with this man, I got this understanding of spirituality. Um, So I guess I'm a culmination of the two. (laughs) Um, Though my own path is the one that I need to walk, you know, I, I just find that that direct experience is my truth. Okay. Yeah, rather than just being told by someone else what it is. I see. So when you use the term direct experience, that's you indirect <laughs> experience <laughs> yeah. with what's going on, yeah. going out and learning uh, about the world by experiencing it. Yeah, and and also sitting in meditation. So in my youth, I learned to pray, which I've been told is talking to God. And then when I was older, I learned to meditate, which I've been told is listening to God. Huh. So um, that's kind of what I mean by having a direct relationship, not putting a person in between me and God. Or, you know, like for a long time, that word didn't work for me, that name, God. Okay. Um, yeah, for a long time, I call it the the divine creator or great spirit or the universe or, or the flow of life, um, whatever. In the in recent times, I kind of healed that wound. <laughs> I think too much damage in the world has been done in the name of God, and it it does activate something in me still, but. I've come back to a place where I'm happy to use that word. Okay. Yeah. But just having a, not putting a mediator in between us. So if I call it life, you know, the source of life, then having direct access to that and an experience with it rather than having somebody else tell me how they do it. Right. And they can only do it. It's not something I can achieve, which was something I've been told. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to get into that a little bit later as well. Cool. Um, different ways we can have that direct experience. Mm. Um, or environments, different environments. We can, ha- we can experience life itself and have that connection with source or God or whatever word or label we'd like to use there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. We can do that. That's really interesting. And I'd, I'd like to share um, the intention behind this discussion with you today. Cool. I'm sure it's not going to be the only talk we have mm. because in planning for this talk, I think we both <laughs> realized there's a whole lot we want to talk about. How to cram it into one little podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I want to keep this one to... Uh, how there's a few things how authentic expression or authenticity connects to oneness mm-hmm. and when i say oneness well when we say oneness we're talking about the concept or experience of people call it non-duality yeah um yeah i'll i'll i'll, I'll let you explain <laughs> that in a moment but okay the intention 
for this talk is I wanted to take a, a practical look at what oneness is and how someone can experience that for themselves, but also some of the pitfalls that can come up and dilemmas once I experience myself as everything and potentially nothing at the same time what do I then do with my life (laughs) or how do I integrate that experience, that direct experience into my interrelations? So that is where this talk is going just to give give listeners and watchers a a roadmap of where we're going. Um, And I think it's going to be pretty juicy. (laughs) Uh, So I'd I'd like to share a little bit about... um, where I've come from and some of the listeners who have been listening for a while will already know, but it feels important to revisit that just to give some context for this talk as well, because I've come from and I'm continuing to uncover myself from uh, adaptations, which I've um, learned as a child that keep me safe. Mm. And they keep me safe from judgment and criticism. Um, yeah, just being sort of found out or blamed or... Yeah, so I've adapted to... And some of those adaptations might look like um, people-pleasing behavior. I might laugh at all your jokes, even if I don't think they're funny. Mm. Uh, I might... Uh, offer to buy someone lunch even though I don't want to I might agree to go to the movies uh, because I feel if I don't someone else might feel lonely or they might not like me if I turn down their invitation and so the want to be liked the want to be liked yes and for me this is stemmed from a belief of not being good enough yep And so that manifests in ways where I try and prove that I am good enough to others and to myself. And that's what I'm calling the adaptations. And I have adapted so well and so consistently, uh, mostly in childhood and also like I've been coming out of this adaptation realm uh, for maybe five or six years now. But the adaptations that I were so ingrained in me, I didn't know who I was. Mm. I never, I didn't feel connected to an inner sense of who is Ben. Yeah. Because I was constantly changing. Please other people. Exactly. And more concerned about what they thought of me and changing my appearance or my body language or my tone of voice. Yeah. So that they were happy. But the end result was I'd had no connection with myself or even understanding of who I was. Yeah. It's like a mask that you wear at a job interview or, um, you know, you tell people all your good side, but you don't tell them the the rest of it. Um, it it's a one-sided view of yourself. Mm-hmm. A bit like um, how people present on a profile on a dating app or something like that. You know, that if anyone's ever tried that, um, 
maybe a year down the track, if you stick with somebody, they're really different to who they said they were <laughs> right. <laughs> right at the beginning. Right. Yeah. 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 So that's because they want to be liked. Right. So they're not presenting exactly the who picture. they are, the full picture. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're doing stuff for other people because you want to be liked, then you're more likely to offer to do stuff that you actually don't want to do or you'll double book yourself and things like that and create experiences where you're letting people down or Mm. yourself down Mm. and then you're reinforcing that you're not really liked and that you need to do more to be liked. Right, and the cycle continues. Yeah, yeah. And all the while you're not meeting your genuine self. Because you're people-pleasing, you're doing something for other people that's not genuinely who you are, but you're just doing something that you think they'll like you for. Yeah. And until you can learn to disappoint other people to be true to yourself, you, I don't tend to really grow as who I genuinely am. Hmm. So you've got to risk not being liked sometimes to be genuine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you look really I'm sad of, right now. No, I'm, kind of, <laughs> I'm not sad. I'm just digesting all of that. Yeah. We, we can just get used to or become more comfortable with disappointing people by being ourselves and that being a good thing we're not we're not our intention isn't to disappoint them but we accept that if someone is disappointed by us being ourselves our authentic selves that's okay sometimes it's a consequence that i have to take to be authentically me is that someone else isn't going to like that Mm. and you know there might be something i say in the next little while that other people aren't going to want to hear or aren't going to agree with or whatever. But if I censor myself so that they'll listen to this, <laughs> then I'm not being genuine. Yeah. You know, so I do have to speak my truth with love, you know, not, not with any intention of harming anybody, but it's, it's just my truth. Mm. And I also have to listen to other people's truth with a genuine curiosity to understand who they are you know rather than you know if if i'm judging people then i should expect to be judged as well so if i want to be able to talk freely and not be judged then i need to offer that to everyone else Mm. Mm. so i'm i'm interested more in your journey into authenticity because you've been going at this for a few years now and um yeah i have been listening to parts of your journey Mm. and and i guess from where you started how much ground have you come like Mm. how do you feel it's your journey into authenticity is going i think it's going well i think no i know it's going well because there are moments 
where I have what feel like breakthroughs. Mm. And those feel like a fuller sense of my energy in my body. I feel freer to just speak my mind and am becoming more comfortable with people reacting negatively to me being me. Mm. And that is starting to feel okay. Mm. So this is a big difference from where I started. And I spoke briefly about it just before, but I genuinely had no idea who or what it was I wanted to express. Mm. I, I, I didn't like if someone said, Oh, just be your authentic self. I might've had a concept of what that meant. Like, oh, okay, just be true to myself. Okay. But to say I felt connected to a self that felt like mine, not as if I owned it, but just that resonated in my body. I didn't feel that way. Mm at all and I didn't even know how to find something like that and I would look around and see other people really comfortable in their skin and I, I think it's actually more rare than common when we look around I think a lot of people are still working their shit out yeah I'm um, everyone yeah there are some people who are a little bit more comfortable and have whatever their journey has been they seem on the outside to be collected maybe coming from a place of integrity more often in their life that's not to say when we fall out of integrity it's bad or wrong or negative it's just another step on the journey on the path Mm. to finding ourselves yeah well that's where we're got our room to grow Mm. so what we're aware of, of the parts of ourselves that we're working on, we're aware of that. But where we um, get triggered or um, have a little outburst of energy, emotion, um, that's the hot spot right now to figure out what I need to do to learn in this moment. Like, um, that's life sort of pushing our little buttons, sort of going, oh, you think you got it together? Well, what about this spot right here? (laughs) 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 And interestingly, our loved ones, uh, (laughs) more often than not, the ones who do it because they know us so well. Yeah, they really know where those buttons are. Yeah. 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 And if we're lucky, there's someone who do it with love. (laughs) Um otherwise it can hurt mm. but but even the hurt is our resistance to owning it often mm. you know if my pride gets shattered mm. then i'm resisting learning something mm. Mm. so um where are you at now or like how far have you come Oh, I I actually don't know how to measure it uh, apart from comparing where I was and where I am now. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of a concrete example in the beginning. Well, I mean, maybe I'll just start at the the very first podcast episode I recorded. Mm -hmm. Uh, That first episode is so highly edited 
uh, well, let me just talk about the experience of recording that before. I, I've, I wrote a whole post about the experience of recording it because there was such a strong resistance going on. This, this not good enough shadow mm. was like, do not do this. What are you doing? Have you gone insane? This is the most dangerous thing you could ever do. And you're about to hit record and record a podcast. You're not even someone who has a podcast. <laughs> what makes you think you can do this? So it, the, the shadow and the intensity of the doubt and self-hatred mm. reached a climactic level during that recording. Yeah. And I was also sick, if I remember correctly. I was, uh, so it was, it was quite a tough one, but I knew I needed to record it. And I did. And listening back to it now, I'm like, well, okay, it's the first episode. But there's also some gold in there. There's some heart. Mm. And I hear my heartfelt intention because I, some part of me was connected to doing that. Yeah. And it wasn't to please other people. Yeah. It wasn't for anyone else. I really wanted to hit record and talk about what I want to talk about. Yeah. So what was that part in you that knew you needed to do it? Where where does that live inside you? Well, you, you you spoke before about strong feelings coming up when we're triggered. Mm. And back then, that was generally all I was aware of. I, I only knew when these ang feelings of anger and yeah. jealousy and even hatred or, or sadness, grief, where these would come up. I know those weren't all feelings, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it was, w w to answer your question, it was only when I experienced more like quieter environments, provided quieter, simpler environments, and my mind calmed down and through practicing meditation became aware of this very quiet very still presence that is so easy to miss when there's a lot going on in the mind or externally and once I sensed it was there I became very curious mm -hmm. and that was the part of me that was active while wanting to record and start this podcast. Um, this podcast was born out of a big crossing of a threshold from an old self that was really buried underneath this shadow of not good enough. And then coming through that, I stepped into more of my mm, authentic power. Mm. And suddenly... The idea of starting a podcast seemed challenging and scary, but something I wanted to do. Yeah. So it was still a comfort challenge, comfort zone. Like I had to step outside mm -hmm. my comfort zone, but it was like, it felt fun. Yeah. It felt fun. And not because, again, not because I wanted to impress anyone. That was a big difference for me because I've spent my, most of my life trying to impress and, and, and prove and get validation and all these yeah. things. But... This was one of the first times where I was 
wow, there's a creative energy or creative spirit here、mm. that just wants to be expressed. And that's really genuine.、Mm. So, like, when you're trying to please people, that's wearing the mask, I think. You know, like you're putting on this persona that you think they'll like.、Mm. So, you're trying to please them. And if that part of you gets insulted and shot down, secretly deep inside, it's okay because that wasn't really me anyway. Whereas when that spark of authenticity, when you start blowing on that and fanning flames and you put that out there,、mm-hmm. if somebody criticizes that, that'll hurt. Because it is really you. But yet at the same time, because it's really you, you're going to keep doing it.、Hmm. You're going to wear the criticisms or judgments or whatever、hmm. because it's authentic.、Hmm. Yeah, I resonate strongly <laughs> with that. It felt like there was no other choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a personal belief that there's only so long we can keep our authentic spirit repressed、yeah. before it comes kicking and screaming out.、Yeah. And if it can't get out, it will let you know it's trying to get out.、Yeah. And I'm talking about it as if I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about, Jeremy. It reminds me of this poem. I don't recall who wrote it. Um, about a, there came a time when the、um, holding yourself, the flower bud, tightly closed to protect itself was more painful than it was to fully open and expose itself to the world. Wow. Like, that's what it sounds like to me. That's exactly, <laughs> yeah, right. It, it, it's too painful to play small. You've got to. Be real. And for me, it took 27 years of existence in this life <laughs> to get to that point where it felt more painful to keep myself in than to let it out.、Mm. And that unfolding is continuing. But to say it, sta- it, it started from when I was born, right? Yeah. It, there's no set beginning and end. Yeah. So to say I was completely.、Um, Without a sense of、uh, authentic self until I was 27. That's not quite accurate because、mm. I remember moments. I remember this moment. I don't know why it's coming to me now, but in primary <laughs> school,、uh, I'm struggling to remember the event, but I remember a boy. I helped a boy at school, and I think he had a broken arm. And it was something about a wheelie bin. And maybe I moved a bin for him, and he was really thankful for that.、Hmm. That's as good as my memory serves. <laughs> Going but, back a fair way. Yeah, but the feeling I had afterwards of having helped someone and them appreciating it, it wasn't because I felt special. It just was like, that was some goodness right there. I just created a moment of goodness. And there was such a strong, I think now I would use the word love、mm. or just compassion. It was so gentle. 
almost felt like crying mm-hmm. because I felt so deeply connected to not only this boy, but also myself and also the entire world. And being selfless. Yes, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. And it's a really simple example, but that has stayed with me. And moments like that just pop yeah. up randomly. And I'm sure other, many other people... They're the know sweet spots in life. Yeah. Um, where you said you were connected to the other person, you were connected to yourself, and you were connected to the world. Mm. Like, that's... I won't say it's what I'm chasing, but they're the moments in life that I love the most. Mm. That moment of connection, which is what got me interested in oneness, because I believe that's what that is, where if I'm in connection with the world, with the universe, with everything, uh, then I'm one. Mm. Yeah, Mm. I'd like to talk about that because I feel the experience i just described like i don't i don't know what to call it Mm. but i feel it's strongly related to an authentic relationship with myself yeah because that moment whatever the components were of that interaction they resonated in a certain way they brought me into some kind of sensation of alignment or presence Mm -hmm. and that felt like me. That felt like there was a part of me being expressed and maybe being experienced. And when I say me again, is it me as Ben? I don't know. <laughs> so this is why I wanted to talk with you today. Yeah. Because you've done a lot of exploring into oneness and yeah. it's probably your current, I don't know, hot topic. It's a or, passion of it's mine. It's a passion. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess there's different ways and methods people have taken over eons of time to experience oneness and um, I guess the one I'm working with at the most um, is about what is preventing me from being one so looking at what are my barriers so um it's the identity thing. How I identify actually separates me. Okay. Yeah. So if I identify as a male, then I've just marginalized half the world. Hmm. If I identify as a white male, I've, ident- I've marginalized another massive part of the world. If I identify as a white male Australian, then I'm separating myself from masses of the world. Um, I can go on and on. A white male heterosexual, you know, um, even a human. Sometimes that's a barrier if I'm hanging out in nature. You know, I can see that the animals recognize me as human, birds and things. They're scared of humans. Hmm. So um, if I'm identifying as pretty much anything at all, then I'm separating myself from all that is. 
So my challenge has been to how do I not identify then? How do I uh, focus on the part of me that's in connection with everything? And uh, a, a way I found to do that, I know um, in English is the method of inquiry, self-inquiry. Um, it's something that the yogis up in the Himalayas used to teach and no doubt it's got other names in other languages and stuff but I just know it as the method of self-inquiry and it's like a meditation where I can look at my hand and go I'm not my hand I'm not my arm I'm not my legs, I am not my body. Mm. And I can go through all my organs, I'm not my breath, I'm not my blood flow. I'll come to I'm not my thoughts. And the more I meditate on this, the the less there is, you know. So I can I can do it with roles as well, you know. Like the the work I do, I I am not my occupation, mm. you know. I am not my hobbies. Mm. All of it, anything that I'm identifying as, just I can throw them into the meditation. And what happens for me at the end of it is I realize that all I am is awareness. I'm, I'm just a witness. I'm here in this moment aware of what's going on around. And from that place, I can feel deeply connected to everything else. Because there's life in everything else. And that's what I am too. There's life in me. So I am living and aware. And the tree over there is living. And I believe it's aware I'm here. Mm. You know, and the bird, that's living. And that's aware I'm here. And all of a sudden we've got something in common. You know, I, I'm one being over here, aware of another being over there. And often the distance between us gets a lot closer. Mm. And and that's that's one way for me to enter the oneness of it all, is to stop looking at what separates me from everything else, which happens when I identify as particular things. Which is what we're taught to do in our culture, um, to identify, you know, like the first question you get asked at school is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that's what, you know, we get taught of all the roles out there and and that's who you are. That's what I was taught. But it's it's actually just a role I play, you know, like... I am not my occupation. Mm. It's a role I play. So what what am I? And I, and I can follow these thoughts 
as they come to even I'm not my thoughts. Mm. So it, it'll lead me to think, you know, when, when this body dies, what dies? Because I think there's something there that doesn't die. And that's what I am. So whether it's a spark of life or a spirit, whatever mm. um, we're told or believe, moving to that place brings me closer to oneness. So if I stop playing my roles and get into my soul, then I approach life very differently. <laughs> very differently, very much more connected because even sitting right here, you know, I can look through my eyes and go, well, Jeremy's here and Ben's over there. Mm. But if I get into the perspective of my soul, then, you know, like, what is this soul? It's, it's like a particle of all that is. It's the spark of life. I'm happy to call it a particle of God or something like that, whatever you want. But we've got like one particle of God sitting here and one particle of God sitting right there and we're kind of the same thing in a different expression. Mm. And it gives me such a deeper connection to the essence of who you are mm. than just for me to be Jeremy and you to be Ben. Mm. We can connect in that way too, <laughs> but um, maybe you'll feel that I see you more authentically if I see your soul. Mm. So that's one trick I use, one method. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, well, I, I actually felt a sense of calm come over perhaps both of us, I'm not sure, when at some point we sort of entered into that and mm. I was also just listening to what you were saying but not as me but just as awareness mm. As, mm. The, as the oral awareness and suddenly it it didn't really matter if you were you or you were me <laughs> or I'm you and you're, you know, it didn't matter yeah. at all Yeah, and I felt here and nowhere else. Nice. Present. Present, yeah. And um, this this is reminding me of one of the things I've attempted to share on uh, through the podcast and through different blog posts. I haven't quite found the eloquent way of saying it. I think it's going to take me years to consolidate it, but what you're speaking of, of, of acting from our soul or a soul mm. connection. Yeah. When I realized, and I also discovered this through meditation, through those quieter places, and I think intuitively examining where am I, where do I exist as an identity, and finding that nowhere really, as, and except just as a thought pattern, and what was left was just this calm sense of awareness and existence. I didn't need to do or get anything. And the most surprising part of that was the shadow of not being good enough 
was nowhere to be found <laughs> when I was awesome. in that place. Not a trace. Which brings me to a dilemma now. Yeah. <laughs> Why did it come back? Where was it? Where did it go mm. when I was in that space of, if we call it a soul awareness or a soul yeah. embodiment? And I feel I feel our discussion is kind of in this in 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 this little kernel. Um, mm. So you've asked me a question. Let me answer it before okay. you go somewhere else. <laughs> So, you said, I came back. So, you were in this moment of soul awareness, but then I came back. Back to your body, back to the room, back to life. And then I can think, oh, geez, I've got to do this. And, you know, the mental list of things to do comes in and, you know, I'm a bit thirsty and, and we come back. And I think that's the trap that we're in that, you know, like an experience of oneness puts us into connection, but I'm still attached to my roles. Mm. You know, like I'm still attached to parts of my identity. So... I mean, some I've read books of some great masters who enter the oneness and and don't come back mm. at all. Like they quite literally cast off their body and enter the the oneness in a state of connection. Um, in Sanskrit, it's it's called a samadhi. Um, and it's the kind of like the ultimate state of being like enlightenment that's another word for it Japanese call it satori Mm. Um, and the reason that the people who strive for this live in isolation in caves up mountains and things like that is because they're trying to renounce everything that will pull them back i see so perhaps the hardest place to experience this kind of connection to life and the universe is in a household in a city (laughs) (laughs) you know like if i lived in a mountain up the himalayas and in a cave i could probably do it (laughs) but to do it with kids that need feeding and and you know bills that need paying and things to stress over Mm. much harder Mm. yeah so things bring us out of that experience but it doesn't devalue the experience in any way and i guess the skill of bringing part of that peace um that connection, that presence that you spoke of, I think we can bring a piece of that back. And then we can go about our business in a much more graceful way, which is a good thing. Mm. (laughs) I mean, having these experiences of love, like that um, man that I mentioned earlier who the crazy john his name was um he 
was starved of love as a child. Like, horrific story. And eventually, somehow, he got into a state where he had this grand vision of acquiring land and building enormous sculptures of, um, like, divine beings, ascended masters, Buddha, you know, like, um, and just having this enormous um, place to do art where the vibration as you walk in there um, raised your consciousness so the the artwork that people did was of a, a really high consciousness that would then be seen by other people and help them raise their consciousness. This was his kind of mission in life. And he had such a, a benevolence and, and filled with love. And yet somehow he came from a beginning with no love at all. But he found something to grow that little seed of love inside him. And if he wasn't um, as crazy as he was, he he probably would have achieved it. <laughs> um, yeah, I loved his vision. I'd love it if he could get there. But, um, yeah, I don't think he's got there. <laughs> is he still around? He is. Because I, I knew him about 20 years ago. And um, I think I saw him, it was earlier this year. I did see him. I think it was earlier this year. And uh, I just got, I didn't actually go up and say hello to him or anything. Um, but I saw him and just got hit with this love that he's still there. Wow. You know, like I, I looked at him from across a large crowded room and I just went, oh, my God, there he is. He's still here. Wow. He had so many troubles with life, you know, like being from where he started. Um, and just to see that he was still getting around mm. and and he cared. He, I wouldn't say he loved everyone, um, but he cared and he wanted people to, in his words, get their consciousness out of the gutter and to rise up to some selfless grand vision for humanity, hmm. which I I think we lack. You know, like as a species, we don't really have a vision or a mission statement <laughs> for what we're doing. We're just here doing what we do without much consciousness about what we do. Mm. And and the flow-on effects, I mean, watch the news. <laughs> sure. Look at the environment, look at the economy, look at the government, the politics, corporations, business. It's everywhere. Mm. Like, I mean, and that's not to say that it, the other benevolent, compassionate, side isn't there as well it certainly is mm. um and he was trying to grow that okay yeah you the, just before you went back into um uh talking about john mm -hmm. 
you mentioned it's possible for us to bring back a piece yeah of oneness if you want to call it that mm. or that experience and integrate it into our daily life yeah i'm really interested to hear of practical ways of how we can do that and why i'm so interested is because i was so confused when coming back to the to the world and suddenly i'm faced with hmm my housemate just drank all my milk <laughs> do i see him or her as me and be happy that they drank the milk that they needed or maybe I could identify as completely me and feel outraged mm. that I have no more milk left and they haven't come and told mm. me, Ben, I drank all your milk. I'm going to replace it or whatever. Yeah. So I found myself practicing what I thought was surrender or acceptance, but actually I'd fallen back into an old pattern of passivity yeah right to yeah. people it wasn't people please it was to not start a confrontation yeah, avoiding conflict and i'm going on a little bit of a tangent but i feel it's important i knew if i started a well i didn't want to start a confrontation but if i had then somehow it would make me less spiritual or maybe devalidate invalidate uh, the experience I had had, which maybe I could call oneness. I'm not sure mm. how to validate that. So I was like, oh, I better stay away from this conflict and just surrender. But actually what I was doing, if I'm honest, was being passive mm -hmm. because it did matter to me in that moment and I yeah. wasn't being authentic. Yeah. Yeah, well, you would be being genuinely you however you might have responded to that um however that would change given your state of mind so in that example if you were in a generous state of mind then you might have been happy to share your milk and know that what goes around comes around and that you have this kind of relationship that in your household if you run out that there's still plenty and and people are happy to share mm. and it, and it could be that you go to that place um it could be that you you do get angry and that you're upset because you wanted that now <laughs> and it's gone and you were depending on it being there and neither are right or wrong um, they're just states of mind, states of consciousness and awareness. Um, how you respond depends entirely on where you're at in that moment because it could change from moment to moment as well. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if you responded in a particular way and then you started beating yourself up over that because you 
wanted to respond to it in a better way, then I would look at that. When I start beating myself up, that's life telling me that it's time to grow in this area. Hmm. Like the the actual beating myself up um, may not do a lot of good. <laughs> um However, if I can be aware that that's what I'm doing, if I can just witness that that's what I'm doing and wake up to it, then I might go, well, is this who I want to be? And I might be able to tune into a higher frequency. Mm. So my view of consciousness differs a little to perhaps um, the general in that... I don't believe that consciousness is a possession of ours. I don't believe that it dwells somewhere inside our body. I believe that consciousness is a field that our planet is in, that our solar system is in. And like a radio, we tune into it. So you remember the old radios with the dials? Yeah. Yeah. So if you imagine... There's different bandwidths of consciousness. There's lower frequencies and there's higher frequencies. And you can turn that dial to tune in and it gets through a lot of white noise and then all of a sudden you'll get a radio station and it's really clear. But it might not be the music you like. So you can change the dial and go through that white noise again and get to another radio station that's really clear mm. and you keep going till you get one you like wow how do you do that that's the question that's come up for me because you're talking about tuning into different fields sorry different frequencies, frequencies of, of consciousness. consciousness yeah within the field yeah so being conscious that that's how the game's played is the first step <laughs> you know if i am condemned to a consciousness that dwells inside me and that's all I've got to work with, then it's a much harder thing to do. Like if, the, it, it, if it's that's a your belief. uphill battle. Yeah, yeah. 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 But if all states of consciousness are already in existence, just like all numbers are already in existence, but you can only count one at a time hmm. as you go up, right? So if all states of consciousness already exist then all I need to do is work on my tuning so that I can constantly fine-tune and get a clearer and clearer signal to a higher frequency. Hmm. And once I'm aware that that, for me, is how the game is that I play, then I might reflect and go, well, I didn't handle that situation very well. You know, I got really angry at my housemate because he drank all my milk. That's not really who I want to be. But it's a signal to me that I've dropped to a lower frequency. And so then I do what works for me to get to a higher frequency. So that might be that connection thing. Meditating, connecting to nature, connecting to oneness, whatever you do to unwind, you know, like some people do that earthing thing with bare feet on the earth. Okay. Walks on the beach or sitting under trees or whatever it is that 
helps you clear your mind, then from that place, I can work on raising my frequency hmm. or my little tuning needle. Okay, so the the act of the tuning. Now I'm aware this is a really subtle thing to describe, but I want to try. Yeah. How would you instruct someone to tune? Because I understood what you said about, you know, we get the signal when we're maybe responding from a place of anger or rage mm -hmm. or, okay, we've dropped in frequency. Yeah. And yet, how do we retune? I mean, you've just mentioned moving into a space of regrounding, simplifying the mind. Yeah. In nature. Yeah. Whatever practice works for a person. Yeah. Would be nice to hear, like maybe some of the ones that work for you. But the the actual the actual tuning process. Can you talk yeah, a little bit about I, that? I know where you want to go. That's cool. Um, I think the the barometer is the emotions. So how you're feeling is going to tell you what frequency you're tuned into. And being conscious of that, being aware of how you're feeling and having the desire to feel better than that. So if you're angry and really loving being angry, then you're probably not going to rise above it. <laughs> okay. Because yeah. there's no intention to do so. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Whereas if you're angry... And you don't want to be, then you're going to look for some way to get less angry. Okay. You know, you're going to look for a better feeling. A bit like being sad. You know, if you're sad and you're just completely happy to wallow at the bottom of your hole that you've dug, then you're not going to be climbing out. You know, it's not until you desire to be out of that hole that you can begin to get there okay. to climb out. Mm. So, the, I guess, yeah, you need the desire for it and you need the environment for it. So, that's where, I mean, like the walk on the beach or sitting under a tree in nature or, or whatever works for you, whatever's on hand as well. Um, that is usually nature, I find, not always, um, but has a bit of a higher vibration than I'm at, which is why I get, I feel high when I'm out there. You know, I love bushwalking. Okay. And and even gardening, you know, like to me, a garden is the interface between nature and humanity. That's where we play together, right? So, so that, that'll do it for me. Um, but if I have access to the bush, and that's why I live in the hills, <laughs> um, if I want to go sit by a waterfall somewhere and, and just soak in that serene beauty it's pretty hard to stay angry. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. And then it, it's you got to keep it too. 
So I wake up every morning, I do yoga, I do meditation, I I do gratitude prayers where I'm I'm not praying in the sense of spiritually begging for stuff. I'm praying in the sense of being grateful for everything I've got. Wow, wow. And it creates a state of mind that's as nutritious as my green smoothies. <laughs> 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 However, <laughs> when I get into traffic, <laughs> um, my commitment to maintaining that state of mind needs to be greater than my reaction in anger to a inconsiderate driver. It's very gently worded. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I've got to be more strongly focused on what I want and break habits. Habits are where consciousness is lacking. So whatever we do by habit, we can do without thinking. So we're not conscious, really. Um, so habits are no good <laughs> in a way. Mm. I mean, you can have healthy habits, but. Are you doing them consciously? I understand. Yeah. Just would like to briefly share, I'm in a mm, state of life at the moment of my own creation where I feel overrun by habits. Yeah, really? And uh, not in every aspect of life, but um, just... Mental. I think my mental hygiene has been run by habitual sort of coping mechanisms, um, and uh, I'm just. I'm, I don't have to dwell too long on this, but um, it's just. I'm just reflecting on. It really feels like unconscious behaviour. Yeah. And I sort of let myself go into it because it feels familiar and safe. Mm. But I also sense it's not of me it's more of a a program that just continues to run that i'm familiar with so there's a sense of some comfort there but also i don't feel good after the program's run of maybe i don't know it could be anything from uh watching too many youtube videos <laughs> to uh oh, i mean i think i think yeah being on the computer for too long it really does frazzle my brain and and do you when you become conscious of this try and push that away or what was your your course of action when you were aware of it um i mean it ties in exactly to what you said so if my desire to move out of the habit is stronger than the habit mm-hmm. i will take action Mm. and remove myself from the computer, walk outside, uh, turn my phone off, Mm. go for a walk, something like that. Yeah. But if my desire is less (laughs) set or less strong than the habit that's running, that habit will continue to run and I'll feel like a passenger, sort of half asleep in the Mm. back of this car. Autopilot, yeah. exactly. That's a great word for it. And that's unpleasant. But mm. I'm just... I didn't want to spend too long on it, but we're going no, to... No, it's a good place yeah. because it's another trap. <laughs> it's another place we get stuck. True. And 
I think a, a common thing that I did for a long time was was to push them away. So whatever I thought wasn't good for my highest purpose, I I would push that stuff away. This was when I was trying to raise my frequency, right? So I went on this renunciation trip mm. where whatever it was that I thought wasn't for my highest purpose, I would just try and get it out of my life. Um, and, you know, it, I did it with a great many things. Um, I've been vegetarian for 20 years, um, thinking that meat wasn't, it wasn't something, I just felt right not to eat it. Um, and then I gave up alcohol and I, I gave up all stimulants and drugs. I even got to a point where I gave up, um, like food additives, superfoods. Um, I just wanted to be eating from the ground, from, from the earth where I live. Mm. And, um, I, just went in a way that I thought was as pure as I could. However, if that stuff is still in my mind, then I haven't truly renounced it. It's still got a grip on me, you know? So if, for example, um, you want to stop drinking alcohol and you just go cold turkey and maybe you haven't had a drink in a couple of years but if you still think about drinking and use support or mental strength then you haven't renounced it because what you're doing is resisting it so it's still occupying your thoughts. So one of the um, ways of renouncing is to allow it to let go of you. So when you can go to a party and not want to drink, then you truly have renounced it. There's no desire for it at all. Then you're fully conscious, you know, like, you, you know, it's like um, celibacy is a good example. <laughs> that was one of the things I did too. Um, if you go a path of celibacy as many holy people do, mm. um, priests and, and a great many um, traditions around the world, uh, the you know, monks and stuff, the, the practice is celibacy. If you spend every night having sexy dreams, <laughs> then you're not celibate. <laughs> you know, you might not be doing the thing physically, but your brain is doing it. You know, you're still doing it mentally. So it, it's not something to beat yourself up about. It's just something to bring into your consciousness that there's still work to do there. Okay. So whatever habits you have you know, where consciousness is, is thin. <laughs> um, if you all of a sudden decide you don't want them anymore um, and you push them away, it might be that they persist because you're resisting them and 
you actually are pushing them away with one part of your being, but you're willing them towards you with another part of your being. Amazing. Yeah, so like your your arm might physically be out there pushing it, but your consciousness or your mind or something is willing it forwards. Mm. You know, why is it in your life at all? You know, because it's your consciousness that put it there. Right. There's something that's there to teach you as well. And I guess once you've got that, the desire for it will fall away. And then you can see it and not want it. Mm. And, and I mean, that happened for me with eating meat. You know, like I, um, I can smell barbecues at the park. I actually still think they smell nice. Yeah. But I don't associate it with food. And so I can go, oh, that's a nice smell, but it doesn't make me hungry. Huh. So, yeah, meat for me is, is not food, hmm. but I know it is for other people. Mm. And, that, and it was the same when I gave up drinking. Um, you know, I, I wasn't um, not going out to gatherings and places where people were drinking because I didn't want to drink and I didn't want to be around it in case I was tempted or something like that. I was still able to, like, I've got a lot of drinkers in my family, so at family functions and things, I could still go. Um, I would get offered drinks and, you know, that's how those people want to engage with me and be polite and inclusive. And... I just didn't see it as something I wanted to put in my body. So I thanked them for their generosity, um, but didn't need it. Hmm. So there was no craving or anything. You know, if I had a craving, then it still got me. Yeah. And I haven't renounced it. Okay. So those unconscious habits, once you bring them into your consciousness, then you can make a choice of, is this part of me? Do I want this or am I ready to move on? Right. So the, the, the point where we're aware of something we would like to let go of and we realize maybe I'm, I'm not physically, say, drinking alcohol, mm -hmm. but I'm thinking about it a lot. What's the next step there? Oh, good question. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that might change case by case. So different things work for different people. Mm. But if my desire is to be pure, that's different than if my desire is to be sober. Huh. You know, so sober is like my desire is to be not drunk. Um, and if my desire is to be something that is out of harmony with the vibration of intoxication out of harmony with yeah yeah so being intoxicated has a, a vibrational frequency you know it feels good for a while and then it feels really crap <laughs> <laughs> um, and other states of mind, like meditation, for example, 
have a vibration and I believe the two of those are incompatible. I've never been able to meditate drunk. Hmm. I can't do it. Hmm. I don't know if I've tried. That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's just something, you know, those two just don't go together, right? Um, so what is my desire, you know? Is my desire to be not drunk or is my desire to be of a much higher vibration that is incompatible with being drunk? Because if I can put myself there, then I'm not going to think about drinking at all. Okay. I'm also hearing... I'm also hearing that because I, I've tried to do that and thought, oh, I've just raised my vibration to... Yeah, I, I have the desire to be pure, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but actually I've, I'm not quite there or I'm not there and I just think I'm there. Mm-hmm. mentally but frequentially or the frequency isn't matching so mm-hmm. i am, maybe moment moment by moment maybe yeah okay so so don't beat yourself up for not being there 24 7 mm. you know because our frequencies go up and down our emotions go up and down right thank you for you that. know yeah. so um you might get there and feel elated that you've got there and then a week later, you've crashed. Hmm. If you beat yourself up for crashing, then you're probably going to stay down there longer because that's more negative emotion. I see. Feeling shame and guilty, angry, sad. You know, that'll keep you at those lower vibrations. Whereas if you can just go, all right, I got there. I know how to get there again. I'll work my way back there. Hmm you know, then you will. Okay. So I think once you're on the path of awakening to that oneness, you know, which for me is the the highest point of connection with life and the universe, God, whatever. Mm. Um, Once you're on that path, you, you can't fall off it, although sometimes it may look like you have. (laughs) But, um, the reason I would fall off it is because there is some part of myself that is incompatible with where I'm going and I haven't dealt with it. Okay. So it's going to trip me over. And that's where often some loved one will push a button or you, I might do it all by myself and I'll fall, you know, I'll fall from grace and, and I'll be in a state and in if I wallow there, I stay there. Uh, if I beat myself up about it, I either stay there or go lower. Mm. Um, or I practice self-compassion and forgive myself, congratulate myself for trying, for, for having got there. You know, like uh, take it easy on myself, mm. support myself encourage myself look at how far i've come these are all like stepping stones yes back along that path each one carrying its own vibration yeah self-compassion yeah would have its own vibration for sure forgiveness yeah so they're the stepping Mm. stones we take and it's not quick 
I mean, I think some of the the masters that have been around in life over the centuries who've got great stories or books or things, you know, oral traditions and stuff, um, they set an example. And all of them tend to say the same kind of thing, really, about love your neighbour and non-judgment and just being good to each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, it, what's coming back to me is there's no way of tricking the frequency. If, there's no way of... In, it, like what I'm trying to express is the dynamics of honesty mm. or truth. Mm-hmm. Let's go with truth. Yeah. There is either truth or something that is untrue. Mm. Now, maybe that's too simplistic and I'm missing some things out there, but there's a vibration to truth. Yeah. And something that perhaps is not aligned with truth. Mm. I'm not sure how to describe it. If we keep it so simple and black and white that it's either true or untrue, then we get a little bit fundamental. And we might get to a point where I can say I'm right and you're wrong. Ah. Right? Yeah. So it's what's true for me doesn't have to be what's true for you. Mm. But I need to be in my truth. You know, so that's coming full circle where I might have to disappoint you. (laughs) Right. To stand in my truth. Right, wow, yes. But I have to stand in my truth. I can't become a fraud to please you so you'll accept me. And that is exactly what I've tried to do for a good portion of my life, is trying to pretend my truth is your truth, Mm. or your truth is compatible completely with my truth, Yeah, which is not true. Yeah. And and we might do that for a, a desire for connection, mm. but it takes us out of connection with ourselves. If if I try and please you, then I might get out of connection with myself. Whereas, because this is all ego stuff, as in, and I loved your ego podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for me. If we go back to that state of oneness where we got, where we, I'm, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not my body, I'm not my thoughts, you know, and I just get back to awareness. That's all I am. From, from there, um, I consider that to be not the ego, <laughs> right? So that's a place of authenticity. Um, and we were calling it soul orientation. That, that's soul. Everything else about Jeremy Albertson is ego. Mm. It's the story of this incarnation. Mm. You know, like I'm a gardener, I'm a musician, I'm a poet, I'm an artist. You know, like all these other things are those identities Mm -hmm. that keep me separate from you. Because you might not identify as those things 
and have a feeling about the disconnection of not identifying. Maybe you wished you were a musician or, you know, we could jam, you know. So going back to the truth then is that I don't have to be the same as you to be one with you. Wow. Mm. In fact, if I embrace and celebrate our differences and our diversity, I feel more connected than when I try and look for our similarities. And God, if the world could just do that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How different would it be? We're working on it. (laughs) I I briefly mentioned the example with the milk and the housemate drinking my milk and sort of, I think I just want to hear from you on like, the differentiation, because I found it very hard to differentiate between uh, surrender, so full acceptance of whatever's happening to me or around me, and so differentiating from surrender to uh, uh, passivity. Mm. So just lying down and taking it, even though I do not desire it. Yeah. It'll be your mood and emotion again. So if you surrender, you release. So when I surrender something, I let go. Mm. Whereas when I'm being passive, I might begrudgingly hand it over. I see. So there's surrender has more compassion to it and trust and love. You know, like if I'm going to surrender to... uh, turn that life took because I wanted my life I wanted control of my life I wanted it to go over here and then something massive happened and it went over there Mm. if I surrender to that then I'm trusting life and all the other synonyms for it need me over there Mm. not where I wanted to go my highest good is over there so I can surrender that what I wanted wasn't what's actually best for me and that a consciousness greater than my own or an intellect greater than my own is actually willing me over there. So I surrender. Mm. But if I'm just being passive, then I'm not going to enjoy the journey. (laughs) I'm going to begrudgingly go over there. Thanks for that differentiation. I'm sure there's more, but that's what came to me. Yeah, I I, I often like talking about these obstacles, the the finer ones, because... um, my experience has been getting stuck and I think it's just the journey of learning and the journey of awareness developing. Mm. I'm going to do things on this path to oneness, back from oneness, wherever I'm going. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to do things that aren't that don't feel like a forward step, or mm. I'm going to do things that I think are a forward step, but then later realize, oh, I just tricked myself. I thought I was surrendering, and this is why I brought mm. it up, but actually I was just being passive, and I built up a whole bunch of resentment. Mm. to my housemate who's drunk my milk the last mm. 20 times and not and I haven't said a single word because I thought I was practicing surrender. Yeah. And so these little fine points <laughs> I guess the naive part of me wants to think that if we discuss it and people hear it that they won't have to repeat the same or get trapped in the same pitfall. Yeah. Um or the same yeah, obstacle. Yeah. But maybe... I mean, you're you're conscious of it now. You're aware of it. Sure. You're aware not only that he took your milk, <laughs> but you're aware that you were passive. Whereas if you're not aware of that, you can't change it. I see. So once you become aware of it, then you have the power to dial up a higher frequency. And, and change how you respond. When you're not aware, you react. Once you're aware, then you have the opportunity to respond, which is to make a conscious decision as to how you're going to address this situation. Right. And you can choose different techniques of addressing it based on where your emotions are, you know, like where you're consciousness is your frequency so i'm still trying to think of your milk example (laughs) (laughs) i think you might be able to i mean sometimes you might just be happy to share your milk you know and other times you you might have felt now you've got to go to the shops and I didn't want to leave the house today. Mm. <laughs> yeah. some, you know, and you, you think, but then you're thinking about you, you know, whereas when you're happy to share, mm. then you've left that kind of ego state or that selfishness and you're in a more selfless place, which you spoke about right back at the beginning Yeah, as a small school child. Yeah. yeah. Which gave you a greater feeling. Much greater. Mm. Yeah, I felt big. Yeah, yeah. Not in a overpowering way, but in a present exist- existential way. So could it be that when your housemate drinks your milk, he's giving you the opportunity to feel even better than the milk would make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm going to accept that. Yes, I'm, I'm. I'm really happy that this is a fictional example. I'm really happy about that. Well, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm being <laughs> deprived drinking your of milk this. right now. <laughs> oh no, I have to go. Um. <laughs> but that's an opportunity, you know. Like everything in life is an opportunity to work on yourself. So that driver that didn't let me in in traffic, I could get angry at that or I could use it as an opportunity to practice patience or compassion. You know, like every 
thing that happens in my day mm. is if I'm conscious and aware, it's an opportunity to move up to that higher vibration. Mm. But if I'm not aware of that intention, if I forget, if I get caught up in the world, then I might react. And that could bring me further down than I wanted to go. And then I might beat myself up for falling off the path mm. and back down even further. And but I'm the whole thing is ebb and flow. You okay. know, um, the only people who get there and stay there are the enlightened masters. And, and, and that kind of discipline is what it takes. Which I'm also aware has taken them many steps. Many lives. Many, right, mm. many lifetimes. Yeah. Yeah, so it, and um, they've ebbed and flowed on mm. their own journey. And I'm also hearing that when we, uh, there's no real steps backwards, but when we when we react, when we sort of lower our frequency, uh, I, I've, I'm hearing it's also important to meet that with compassion. Mm-hmm. Very important. And in fact, perhaps that's the most appropriate response mm. instead of beating myself up because, oh my God, I've given myself some great <laughs> internal <laughs> injuries from beating myself yeah, up. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> professional self-beater. Yeah. Uh, and... It's funny because in the moment it's like, yeah, I really deserve this. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, but actually, I guess that's okay as well because I'm caught or I'm remaining in the reaction of I deserve or I desire to be punished now more than I desire compassion for myself in this moment. Perhaps, mm. perhaps. Maybe there's not that much consciousness in there. Well, there might be something in there to learn, though. That might be one part of yourself that is a stumbling block to getting to that next level of frequency. I see. So whatever frequency we are at, if we cling to it, then that makes us incompatible to get to the next highest one. Okay. So if I wear psychic armor all day, every day, to protect myself against people who are going to s- criticize me, because that way it won't hurt, um, it works, right? It keeps me safe, because whatever metaphoric arrows they sling at me don't go in however I can't take that armor with me to a higher vibration Mm. it's incompatible Mm. and so if I want to go to a place where people don't insult each other can I go there wearing armor Mm. can I go there protecting myself Because the act of protecting myself from people who insult me puts me on the vibration of people who insult me. 
I understand. <laughs> so I'm bringing them into my field. Right. It's when I stop working on that frequency that I can leave that one behind and that's when I can rise to a new frequency where people don't insult each other. Mm. And that'll attract people into my life who don't insult each other. Mm. And of course, we all have our ups and downs. <laughs> so it's not like I can just get there and then I'm there for the rest of my life, you know? Like, yeah. But the people that I hang out with are a reflection of where I'm at with my level of consciousness because they are compatible with me to some degree and people who are not compatible with me won't like me and and I won't see anything in them that wants me wills me over to talk to them sort of thing um whereas there might be somebody who is of a really pure vibration and uh and I just want a little of that to rub off onto me you know mm. so then I would go over and and try and have an interaction with them So I think uh, what we're um, embodying, you know, as in that it, it's radiating out of us too. It's not just like an inward direction of a frequency that we're tuning into. Um, it's something that we're transmitting as well. Mm. So it's it's going to influence our environment, our surroundings. Mm. Yes, I see it's so important to become conscious of what we're radiating, what we're emitting. Mm, yeah. Well, it means like I don't deny what comes up in me. So, for example, I could be working towards a high degree of consciousness, but it doesn't mean that I won't get angry, right? But it changes my relationship to anger. Yeah. Okay. So... I still have anger move through me, but it doesn't make me pick things up and throw them at people and pay out on them. It just means that I can acknowledge that there's anger in me at the moment and I relate to it in a very different way. Mm -hmm. So those lower vibrations may not be lower, you know, but um, it's just a way to differentiate them but they they they're still there they you know we we have the full spectrum and that's human like that's just how we are you know like for all the work that I do on myself I'm not free of my shadowy behavior you know like I'm not free of my wounds um but I've changed the way that I relate to them. Mm. So I'm less triggered these days, more often responsive. So I'm sort of response-able and can acknowledge or witness what's going on in me. And I love doing this with my son. You know, like he can just 
tear me to shreds <laughs> as only a child can when they've learnt you for uh, 13 years and he knows how to push all my buttons. <laughs> right, he's, he's studied me and he knows how to play me and eventually I'll, I'll lose it, you know, because it's 11.30 at night and I just want him to bloody go to bed. Mm. Um, however, he knows that if he sees anger in me, that he's safe. And he knows that if I spray a bit of that anger on him, if I yell at him, that I don't hate him. He knows I haven't thrown him out of my heart. Okay. He knows that we're going to have a conversation shortly and I'm going to tell him what's going on for me. And, and that's what happens, you know. So I have a different relationship with anger. I'm not free of it. And hopefully I take less hostages than I used to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> less carnage. Thank you for um, explaining that point because that's that's precisely where I've been stuck before. It's like, oh, I've experienced states of oneness so i shouldn't be feeling anger or jealousy Mm. or sadness or fear because if i am oh i've lost Mm -hmm. i've lost something i've lost where i got to perceivably or so i think Mm. i haven't lost anything and i really appreciate the the radio dial Mm. because it removes it from identity and achieving or getting a higher frequency or a lower frequency and more just they're always available yeah the lowest and the highest yeah and we're just retuning when we become aware of oh yeah actually i'm on this lower one i desire to be a little bit higher right now yeah it's just that and it just it's very helpful to hear that but my main point was what you just explained with the anger, your, your relationship with anger has changed, but you still have anger running through your body. Mm. You still experience anger. Yeah. And there's a big difference because where I was thinking, oh no, if I feel anger, I've uh, lowered my vibration and mm. somehow that's bad. So I was repressing my anger. Yeah. Yeah. Unconsciously, yeah. But I was doing that because I desperately wanted to feel good, good. enough and like I've achieved something. So yeah. I still that part of that not good enough shadow was there for me to learn that yeah. part again. And but again. how genuine is that wanting to feel good? Like if you can convince yourself that you're feeling good, how genuine does that good feel? If you're on top this volatile bottled up anger yeah not really that great (laughs) (laughs) it's not very genuine (laughs) yeah it's better to just be angry in a way that's safe Mm. you know like to find to let it out at the right time in the right way to the right person for the right reason Mm. um and in the right way, if I didn't say the right, <laughs> um, so that you're not bottling it up, and and then you can not 
well, it just flows. It's the energy in motion. Mm. And then you can move to that higher frequency, that higher feeling. There's a really cool thing that happens in groups called entrainment. And it was discovered, I think, by a clock maker. Um, and he discovered every day when he worked on all these clocks, when he left his shop, there was a chaos of clock ticking going. And then in the morning, when he'd come into work, that all be ticking in unison. And then the, he'd work on the clocks all day and there would all be a chaos of ticking when he left. And then in the morning when he came back the next day, they were all clicking in unison. And so what he discovered was that it was the biggest clock with the biggest pendulum, the grandfather clock, that all the others tuned into. Wow. So the strongest vibration other people tune into. So it, it's, um, it's, a, it's like a force in the universe thing. It, it's a bit why, uh, like why our moon is small and it's orbiting around our planet rather than our planet orbiting around the moon, you know, and then all the planets in our solar system are orbiting around the sun. I see. Because that's bigger. Because it has the biggest Yes. Vibration. Everything gravitates to the biggest thing. So if you have the biggest expression of compassion in you and you go into a room and somebody's feeling sad, then your commitment to your compassion comes into relationship with their commitment to their sadness. And if you're more committed to your compassion than they are to their sadness, they'll move towards you. Wow. So Physically? Oh, uh, possibly. <laughs> I just mean vibrationally, yeah, like okay. emotionally. So um, what I love doing is group work where we work on setting a high vibration, a high frequency of consciousness, mm. and then bringing people into that so that we all tune into that and then checking in with the collective wisdom of what's what are we experiencing now mm. and we get different we're all one on that frequency but we get different perspectives around the group mm. it's fun wow. <laughs> and then we get attached to something and we've got to go home <laughs> yeah, right. you know, and you might leave that frequency for all these things that bring us back to the ordinary world. That might be a good segue, actually, mm -hmm. um, into yeah, perhaps the finding a purpose in life after experiencing mm. uh, deep states of oneness. Yeah. Uh, because it's quite a pleasant experience. It can be mm. uh, oneness. And then yet we come back or maybe we just, I don't know if we return or... What next? What next? What yeah. next is happening? And how do I relate to suddenly a person in front of me if I've just experienced we are actually one and the same and yet seemingly... 
you you're in a physical different physical body and you have different opinions and you just drank all my milk <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the answer that i get that i came up with for that um is gracefully how to when we come back to the normal world real world whatever it is then how do i carry on you know the the um buddhist saying before enlightenment chopping wood carrying water after enlightenment chopping wood carrying water um the doing of life still has to be done so we can achieve an amazing connection with life itself but we can't stay there because we're physically incarnated Hmm. you know the physical world the physical plane is where the doing gets done so you know children need feeding work has to be done bills need paying all that stuff you know we can't just sit on our meditation cushion indefinitely uh we've got to come back to the um the physical plane so it's what we bring back with us from where we were a little piece of that tranquility or whatever it was that we were really tuning into that then we bring to the physical plane so we can go there and fill up on love and then come back and just be so loving Mm. you know and and that then is where it radiates out from us Mm. and then someone else might be having a bad day but then they might see you just radiating love and and just get a little bit of that and not go home so angry or not go home so sad or Mm. you know it ripples out so my want (laughs) when i achieve higher the higher states that i'm capable of is to return to normal life and do it gracefully and lovingly um to to quieten my mind to open my heart to help relieve suffering there's not much else i can do really Mm. being of service and how does that look in, in, in everyday terms, practically, living with grace. Yeah. For me, suffering. it began when I started seeing every action like a prayer. So if you imagine participating in some spiritual ritual where every action was done with great intention and grace. Um, the, the thing that's coming to my mind now is a Japanese tea ceremony. Um, every motion, every movement is done very gracefully. Mm. And it's to bring that into normal life. So that when I'm getting dressed in the morning, when I get up, to dress gracefully. And that doesn't mean I put different clothes on than I need to, but it just means the action 
of getting out of bed is like greeting the world mm. rather than begrudging that sleep time is over, <laughs> you know, to get up and be grateful that I have another day, you know, that there's there's more beauty to experience. And every little chore that I've got to do, I can do it consciously knowing that this too is a prayer, you know, like this too is something that my hands are busy doing, but it can lead me to a higher frequency. So the mundane parts of life, the washing the dishes, the sweeping the floor, watering the garden, you know, like all those things, they can be seen as these burdens that we have to do because there's something else we'd rather be doing because maybe something else brings us joy. But what if we find joy in every little thing? You know, what if, what if feeling helpful when washing the dishes brings joy? You know, uh, contributing. It's seeing... I guess it's a benevolent vision. It's like seeing God in everything. I think that's what fueled some of the amazing people they've been like Mother Teresa and that. She used to say that she was washing lepers and she just said she saw God in everyone. Mm. Everyone she met, she was meeting God. You know, and that's why she had the energy to do what she did tirelessly. And she did it with love, you know, like how many other people want to spend all their days washing lepers? <laughs> but if you can find a way to experience connection with the oneness, mm. which she did, what she did was bringing her in communion with God. That's why she did it. Mm. It wasn't a chore for her. Mm. Yeah. So that state that we can achieve while we're meditating or or doing whatever we do that puts us in those higher states, you know, like where it's a connection with nature or what. Um, I think the trick is to bring that back, you know, and then I'm going to lose it. I, I can't keep it. Hmm. I, I can't even keep it all day. <laughs> not even for one whole day you know I meditate most mornings but I can't keep that state of grace for the entire day uh, but I'm making the gaps between remembering to go back to that state of grace smaller so I mean that's one little thing that I can do mm. is just remember oh yeah I forgot. <laughs> That's right. I was going to have a really beautiful day and I just forgot. I'm hearing compassion in that as well. Like you forgot. Mm. Oh, I forgot. Not, oh my gosh. Beat yourself Time up. to beat myself mm. up. I forgot again. <laughs> oh, here we go. But it's, oh, that's okay. Okay. Mm. I've realized now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Back to grace. Compassion is... Uh, 
driving force in the universe. It's it's powerful. Yeah. Like love. Mm. You know, it's just one of the most amazing natural energies. And it's something that when you give it, you don't deplete yourself of it. Mm. You know, you can give loads of it to other people and share it all through the day. And at the end, you probably have more <laughs> than less. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a renewable energy. Inexhaustible. Yeah. 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 Mm. I think we're coming to the end of our mm. discussion. But I'd like to open the the space to for you to share anything, any closing thoughts, or I I, I know you you mentioned you would like to share a a poem. I've got one, yeah, yeah. So this is it's actually a, it's a real dream I had, and I wrote it down, and then I went to work on it to put it into a poem to rhyme which is what I like poems to do and I shared it with some friends before I had got it to rhyme and they convinced me not to continue that and that it was perfect as it is and just to leave it so it's a I think that's prose non-rhyming poem okay anyhow so it was a dream but it's actually stuck with me and became something that keeps me centered in life okay so here we go i had a dream where i was in a crowded public hospital it was busy with people rushing around everywhere there was a man laying in the hallway dying there was no nurse in attendance or people with him i could tell by his clothes and his stubble that he was a poor man with not much to his name and the hospital didn't know what to do with him. They couldn't send him away, he was dying. But they couldn't. But he couldn't afford their care. So they just parked him there in the building and left him there. No one was paying him any attention, and he was looking around the hallway for someone to see him, looking for someone to say farewell to. And if he were lucky, stroke his hair and say, it'll be okay. His eyes met mine, and I thought, I'm just a visitor, I don't know what to do. But his eyes told me there wasn't even enough time to get a nurse. I moved towards him, and he reached out his hand. I could see he was afraid to die alone, alone in this crowded hospital. He leaned towards me and groaned, as he couldn't make words, but I knew what he wanted. He wanted to have his last conversation, his last connection his last human interaction. Speechless, I looked down to his thin, withered legs and saw they matched his thin, withered arms, and his feet and hands were weak and bony. His stomach was empty and twisted. His face had wrinkles from decades of smiling, discoloured skin wrapped around his skull. His eyes were longing for me to say something to him. I looked at his chest and saw it was full and vibrant. Whatever is taking this man's life, it's not a problem within his chest. Hmm. Then it hit me and I said, 
It's clear to me that everything you have accumulated during your life, you're able to take with you. You acquired no riches, no properties, not even fancy clothes or jewelry. Your body looks poor, but your heart is rich. I can tell you've had deep friendships and a loving life of service. I can tell you've read a great many amazing books and discussed all varieties of wisdom for all the years of your life. I can tell that your heart has no regrets, holds no grudges, and forgave all who wronged you. I can tell your heart was not shamed by the burden of religion, nor was it enraged by the madness of politics. You're not leaving behind a large estate for relatives to fight over. Everything you've acquired in this world, you can take with you to the next. His thin lips widened into the sweetest smile, and his eyes lit up. He exhaled a long, slow, yes, as he lay back down and did not take another breath. I smiled as I stood there, still holding his hands. Nurses and people kept rushing past me. I didn't even know his name, but I knew that if life is a game, this man just won. If you would like to stay connected to Jeremy, you can find him on Instagram at Jeremy Albertson or on his Facebook page, Living From Your Garden with Jeremy Albertson. His book, The Pursuit of Clarity, can be found at most online bookstores. You can find all the relevant links in the show notes to this episode. Hey, I hope you found this conversation helpful. If you would like to continue following this journey, please subscribe to this podcast via your favorite podcast player or sign up to the email list at beersforbeing.com. To support the creation of episodes like the one you've just heard, you can become a patron for $1 or more at patreon.com forward slash beersforbeing. Thanks for listening.